Georgia's DBHDD reminds people that the Good Samaritan Law can save lives during alcohol and drug overdoses. People are urged to call 911 and stay until help arrives. More information at opioidresponse.info. It's the Bitter Southerner podcast from Georgia Public Broadcasting and the magazine that I edit, The Bitter Southerner. I'm Chuck Reese, and this is episode five of our first season. Today, the Southern Way of Healing. Now, we all bear the traumas of life, unexpected illness or injury, sudden loss of work or loved ones, and blessings be upon all those who suffer from that. But there are larger traumas, ones that are imposed by societal and governmental forces that are beyond most of our control, but they wound huge groups of people. I'm speaking specifically of the traumas of war. When it comes to healing the traumas of war, Southerners bring some long traditions with them of caring for the damaged. Because we tend, as a people, to share what we have quite readily when we encounter people bearing great pain. It's an impulse that's rooted in traditions and stories that cross all our cultural barriers. And one of the best expressions of that impulse that I ever heard came from a field recording that the folklorist Bill Ferris made about a half century ago. A story told to him by a quilter in Yazoo City, Mississippi, whose name was Picolia Warner. Picolia told Bill about a time a Bible salesman showed up at her door. Now, Ms. Warner didn't need another Bible because she already had one in every room of her house. But she could tell that the man was hungry and tired, so she took him in and fed him. And this is how Ms. Warner ended her story when she told it to Bill. Don't never drive a stranger from your door because you don't know who you're driving away. You could be driving Jesus Christ away and you turn them down. So don't turn nobody down. They come to your house and ask for a piece of bread. Give it to them. And I don't care who it is, white, black, blue, green, or yellow. They come in and say, I'm hungry. Come on in. Many people in the South, including me, were brought up to live that way, to gather up and help heal people, whether it was from sicknesses of the heart or sicknesses of the body. And it didn't really matter if you knew the person or not or how many resources you had and could spare. You just took what you had and you did what you could. Now, John Jackson is one such caring soul. But first, John had to find his own healing after six tours of duty in Iraq and Afghanistan. And he finally found some peace after a long struggle by reconnecting with the farmlands of southern Georgia. We met him a while back as he stood at his pasture gate watching over a herd of goats. Animals don't care about your bad day. They're gonna come up and they're like, I want you to pet me. You know, and you're like, okay, you're like, but I'm feeling really mad right now, but I'm petting you. And man, they don't know the amazing stuff that they're doing for our vets who come through. Jackson's journey from the battlefield to the livestock farm was hard. 
After all his tours of duty, he came home with post-traumatic stress disorder and a traumatic brain injury. Initially, he saw a psychiatrist at the VA Center in Tuskegee, Alabama, but he says he was told he had to wait six months between appointments. In 2015, he had a mental health crisis and he called the VA's crisis hotline and they told him the earliest they could see him was in eight weeks. It took a lot of pushing, but he finally got the wait narrowed to two weeks. Still, Jackson says it should not be that hard for vets to get the help they need. Every appointment that I got with them was because it was like, no, I need to see you right now, you know? Um, and, and I had to push it and it was like, I'm fighting, I'm fighting, I'm fighting. You know what, man? And then you get sick and tired of fighting. Why am I fighting? for care. Instead of waiting so long for care in Alabama, Jackson needed more immediate attention. So he moved to Milledgeville, Georgia with his family and started going to a nearby VA facility where he says the care was better. But now he runs the 20-acre Comfort Farms in Milledgeville, founded it in February of 2016. And there, he helps his fellow warriors find peace by working the farm. He named Comfort Farms after Army Ranger Captain Kyle A. Comfort, a friend of his who did not make it home from Afghanistan. Now the farm named for Kyle Comfort puts vegetables and meat onto people's tables, and Jackson says farming fits some veterans like a glove. It's a different way to heal the scars of war. You know, farming is chaos, and I like chaos, so it's just like one of those things where I'm, I'm constantly here struggling against Mother Nature, struggling against pests, you know, um, but, you know, when you win, you get those small battles, uh, those small victories. Not long after John Jackson started Comfort Farms, he got a U.S. Department of Agriculture grant to travel the state training vets on agriculture. That allowed him to connect with more than 300 veterans counselors like Melinda Page agree that farming can help heal the scars of war by stimulating brain activity. I believe they do better when they have a shared mission. They're extremely resilient, strong individuals. And since PTSD is a medical condition, it's a treatable medical condition, it means their brain is simply injured by the high stress that they've lived with and can be healed. Wars bring into our society people who suffer sicknesses that are difficult to understand. Shell shock was what my World War II veteran daddy used to call it. But today we understand it better and we call it PTSD. People who bear those scars come into our region from two places. First, there are our own folks, the veterans of our nation's wars. Second, there are refugees who suffer great losses in civil wars and have to leave their homes in the hope of finding a place where they can live in peace. Today on the Bitter Southerner podcast, we meet Southerners who work hard to turn the scars of war into the peace of home. Now we all know that music holds the power to heal. And Mary Gaucher, a singer and songwriter originally from New Orleans, directs that power toward veterans. She's now based in Nashville. Listen to her sing. They say no man's left behind, but that ain't true. 
They hate it that they need us, but they do. They lose their fingers, lose their limbs. We try to love them back together again. They say no man's left behind, but that ain't true. That song is called Stronger Together, and it's off Gaucher's Grammy-nominated album from last year, Rifles and Rosary Beads. Gaucher wrote every track with veterans and or military spouses. The military breaks their heart. We're there when they fall apart. They're hurting places that the eye can't see. Rifles and Rosary Beads arose from Mary's work with an organization called Songwriting with Soldiers. It pairs professional songwriters with veterans. The vets bring their stories and together with the songwriters, they turn those stories into music, into art. And hearing each track is a deeply emotional experience, but they help us listeners to understand the hardships that actually face our vets. According to the latest figures from the VA, roughly 20 veterans take their own lives every day. I talked with Mary about the album and her mission to give veterans a voice. Gaucher has an incredible ability to connect with others who have experienced trauma. And in fact, she says music helped her through her own trauma, alcoholism. For me, songs and songwriting helped save my life. Uh, You know, I I really struggled with drug addiction and alcoholism. Um, And once I got sober, I needed something to hold on to. Uh, And then, you know, eight records into my career, I was asked to write with veterans. Uh, And I'm sitting with people in front of me who don't understand what the hell just happened. In many ways, they're experiencing the confusion of trauma uh, that that leaves you almost speechless. There's just no words. And, And so having been there in my own, with my own trauma, I felt as though, um, uh, it was just the natural fit for me to to help them find words for what, what they've been through. We belong to each other, and it's very easy not to know that once you've been traumatized. I, I, I pray that you are right. I pray that music is part of our path out of all these messes we find ourselves in, not just in the South, but all over the world. And And let's start with Still on the Ride. Let's take a listen. Guardian angels, maybe they're true. My guardian angel, maybe it's you. I shouldn't be here. You shouldn't be gone. Still on the ride is uh, uh, a song you wrote with with. Josh Gertz. And Josh is a disabled veteran. He lives in New York State. He served uh, five years in the Army. And in 2003, he was injured in Iraq by a roadside bomb. He suffers from spinal cord injury and a traumatic brain injury. He can walk, but he says uh, not very far and not for very long. Uh, He said that transitioning to civilian life has been difficult. All the new perspective that I found from writing with Mary has helped me to realize there's hope 
you know. So if I can pull myself out of, you know, a place where I was attempted suicide, I was going to attempt, attempt it again to such a brighter and happier place mentally, then why can't I do it physically? I mean, I, I heard that, and it sort of blew me away that he found the experience not only transformational in terms of working out what his soul needed, but it helped him take a newer, more optimistic perspective on his physical body's recovery, too. Yeah, you know, uh, f- first of all, I think I think I should say that Josh is an incredible young man. Um, he is... Uh, uh, a beautiful example uh, uh, of of what I call a resilience of the human spirit. Um, he's been through uh, one of the most traumatic stories I've ever heard, and that includes in my in my recovery working with addicts for the last three decades. Josh has been through an unbelievable amount of trauma, um, and so uh, for him to experience some some kind of transformation through the process of writing a song solidifies my belief that songs are magic. But the thing that you got to remember, and I think this is important, is that they have to contain the truth to, to, to have the magic intact. And by that, I don't mean the facts. It's not journalism. But what I'm referencing is the emotional truth. What Josh and I wrote was true to the emotion of what he had experienced uh, with the loss of his best friend, uh, and, and he he helped me to understand uh, what he had gone through, and we found our words together, um, and the the magic of the process started to take over. One other thing about Josh that he told us that really sort of uh, hit me in my heart was he talked about just the difficulty of dealing with the death of a comrade in the battlefield. And he talked to us a little bit about what the process of writing the song did for him. You know, based on certain religions and ideas, you know, with committing murder, is it murder and why wouldn't it be? You know, and I just kind of struggled with that. And Mary and I kind of talked about it and we kind of came up with the idea with the loss of my friend, how I... You know, I still feel that, you know, he kind of watches over me. You know, if I'm struggling, I kind of look to him because I know what he would say to me. I know that he would motivate me and push me and stuff. And she said, kind of like a guardian angel. I can't even go. I'm going to cry. Uh, we, we, once we had the, the, the vision of his best friend who passed away in his arms being his guardian angel, uh, still there with him and protecting him, uh, and they're still on the ride together. Uh, we knew we had a song, and and uh, we knew we had a good song. But it's not up to me who dies and who carries on. I sit in my room. I close my eyes. Me and my guardian angel were still on the ride. Got holes in my eardrums, bruises and clots, double vision, and my stomach's in knots. Mary, the next song I want to talk to you about is the title cut. 
Morphine dreams, rifles and rosary beads, yellow smoke, orange haze, blowing into my eyes, whistling sunset bombs. I couldn't. Trust the sky, rivals and rosary beads. That's the title song from Rifles and Rosary Beads. Mary, you wrote that with Joe Costello, who lives in Michigan. He says he didn't come home with any physical injuries. When I came home, um, there was some burden that I knew um, I had. I just couldn't figure out what it was. And I didn't have the toolkit to articulate um, difficult emotions, but I also didn't have a good network of people that understood what I was going through, and the public in general didn't really want to talk about anything that veterans were experiencing when I returned home. That's why I think projects like Songwriting with Soldiers are so um, remarkable, because they offer that, that space. One of the things that strikes me is how when veterans come home they can feel so divorced from society back home and sometimes from their own families. Well, it's even worse. A lot of times they feel divorced from themselves. And I think what Joe was getting at is is he had a very hard time reconciling, reconciling who he believed himself to be uh, with who he became during a war. Um, and I think there's a, a whole field of knowledge that works on this uh, and, and tries to help our veterans with what they call moral injury, which is something that happens during war. We're, we're in a position, uh, we're putting them in a position to act outside of their, outside of their, their moral beliefs. Uh, and that is very hard for them to reconcile, many of them, when they come home. Well, and... Joe told us he wasn't really prepared for the kind of experience he would have while riding with you. Let's listen to him talk about that. It was a challenging experience, but such a relief at the same time. Um, I finally felt like there was a civilian that was listening to me, that was hearing me, uh, with free of judgment. There was no room for judgment or evaluating me. Um, that, that creative process really helped um, me figure out new possibilities for life. I have a feeling, and I could be wrong here, uh, that going into such a situation so free of judgment and so willing to listen might be difficult for a lot of songwriters, but you've always struck me, your work has always struck me as coming from someone who had the empathy to pull something like that off. Well, I take that as a high compliment, and, and I thank you so much for saying that. Um, I think the the thing that the ancients knew that we sometimes can forget that songs are magic and they 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 come from the gods and they come to help us. They're not just ways to get laid or make money. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> There's something bigger going on if we allow it into the process, and it's sacred. It's a sacred art form if we allow it to to speak through us in truth. That was Nashville-based singer and songwriter Mary Gaucher talking about her latest album, Rifles and Rosary Beads. 
And I want to dig deeper into one of the songs from that album, a song called Bullet Holes in the Sky. It was co-written by Jamie Trent, who served in the Navy in the mid-90s during the Persian Gulf War. His father and brother also served in the Navy. And Jamie told us the story behind that song. When I enlisted, I was 18. I really didn't think at the time that I'd spend nine months on an aircraft carrier with a hundred fighter jets where you're right in the middle of essentially a war going on. I really just wanted to uh, get money for college and have a good time, but didn't really know what was attached with that. It's the 11th of November down in Nashville, Tennessee. Free breakfast at the Waffle House if I show my ID. A parade up on the riverfront, you can hear the trumpets play. Hands on hearts, the color guard kicks it off on Veterans Day. That's, uh, that's the first verse of the song. And uh, it's, it's actually a true story, at least when I was in the service um, on Veterans Day, every day on November 11th. What I remember was the uh, Waffle House would give a free breakfast to anybody that showed their ID. And I remember back then, and, and even even more vivid to me today, is that that could be the singular most happy and sad thing all wrapped up in one. There's a lot of mixed emotions when you serve. Just to give you an example, I remember um, when our ship was coming in from deployment from the nine months overseas, I got off the ship and my parents' car was parked about five minutes away. It was about a mile long walk. And as we were getting close to their vehicle, there were signs in the front yard, people's yards that said, dogs and soldiers stay off the grass. That struck me pretty hard then. Oh, Jesus, self forgive them. They know not what they do. And he's here with me this morning. And his words still ring true. So I hang my head and pray for those we lost and those who remain. As the clouds burst. When people hear this song, I want the takeaway to be that the service was a sacrifice and sometimes the ultimate sacrifice and it's tough and folks that haven't served maybe sometimes can't fully appreciate what the service members went through during that time. And in heaven, shining down on That was U.S. Navy veteran Jamie Trent. He co-wrote Bullet Holes in the Sky with Mary Gaucher. And it's featured on her Grammy-nominated album, Rifles and Rosary Beads. You should buy it, but you can hear more tracks from it at bittersouthern.com. Now let's talk about the other people who bring their need for healing to the South 
the refugees. Near Athens, Georgia, there's a community garden called the Neighbor's Field. A Christian ministry runs it in the little town of Comer. And as producer Sean Powers tells us, this garden helps rehabilitate refugees who've lived through trauma. It's a hot Saturday afternoon in Comer, Georgia. Mupaw is feeding her chickens, hens, goats, and ducks. There's even a donkey. You could say they're kind of like her babies. She is one of the many refugees at the neighbor's field who fled violence and persecution in Myanmar. That's the country formerly known as Burma. Mupaw tells me about her life before coming to the United States. She grew up in Myanmar and recalls living in fear of the Burmese soldiers. She says they'd force her family to carry food and other supplies. Gardening at the neighbor's field, she says, provides some relief from those painful memories. Got it here, we forget the war, we forget the war. Sometimes we remember the father, her. My father go to the Burma soldier, kid. She says Burmese soldiers kidnapped her father and used him as a porter to carry food for them. After leaving Myanmar, Mupa lived in a refugee camp in Thailand before moving to the United States with her husband and children. They relocated to the Atlanta area before settling here in Comer. Her son, Tahe Than, says moving to Comer was to satisfy Mupa's green thumb. My mom, where she lived in Burma or Thailand, she always liked to plant, uh, you know, work in the farm. So when she farm, that make her, make her, make her feel like she is home or something, you know, like I'm a home country, mother country or something. Yeah. So that that's why she she moved to come. The neighbor's field is a place for healing for Mupa. She comes here twice a day, except Sundays. Sundays, of course, are for church. She shows me around the garden. Yeah, me got it. Here, vegetable, here, grass. Me <laughs> planted the cucumber this year. Here, sweet potato. Very beautiful. It's that beauty that takes Mupa back to memories of her family. She and her son, Tahe, say in Myanmar, farming for their family was a way of life. My grandmother, the plenty, the red, pinner, chili, corn. Most of the time, everybody who lived in Burma, they were, they were uh, plant for in order to be survived. And that's what makes this garden all the more meaningful. The vegetables growing here, they don't look like your typical produce that you would find at most supermarkets in the United States. That's because the seeds come from Myanmar and Thailand. With us on our garden tour is Rebecca Smith. She oversees the day-to-day operations at the neighbor's field. As we chat, we spot a pumpkin from Thailand. It's green, kind of stripy green and light yellow. How do you cook this, Mupa? Uh, garlic. Mm-hmm. Onion. Little chicken. <laughs> chicken? The flavors coming to life in Mupa's soil are just a small part of the pie. There are two dozen plots of land at the neighbor's field that are being rented by refugees from Myanmar. For a large plot, it's $100 a year. 
Rebecca Smith says it's incredible to see how working the farm helps build community. What's the most surprising to me is, I mean, their gardening abilities, they're just amazing, but how people can go and walk through our woods here and they know plants that we can eat that I never knew were edible. I mean, they're just amazing foragers. They can figure out how to cook everything and make it taste good. And it's just stuff that we think are weeds. Like sometimes they're out, people will be out here just butchering a pig for a celebration or Mupa's out here feeding her chickens and people in the garden and you just feel like you're in a different world, not in Comer, Georgia. It's a world that brings healing. For the Bitter Southerner podcast, I'm Sean Powers. Our thanks to our producer, the mighty, mighty Sean Powers for that story. If you listen to episode four of our show, you know that I live in a little town with a big refugee population, Clarkston, Georgia, which we proudly call the Ellis Island of the South. Many of my neighbors are refugees, and to see the hospitality that happens between them in our little town, created again at places like the neighbor's field, means a great deal to me. And I think if you don't feel a little bit better about the state of the world because of the work that's happening there, then maybe you ought to search your soul a little bit because something might be off inside. Well, that's it for the Bitter Southerner podcast today. Of course, we can't tell the stories of the changing South unless you tell us yours. Please reach out to us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. We would love to hear about people in your community, wherever it is in the South about people who are working to heal the physical and psychological wounds of war. You can subscribe to our show anywhere podcasts are found. If you like the Bitter Southerner podcast, we sure would be grateful if you'd review it and rate it on Apple's iTunes, even if you listen to the show on another platform. Those iTunes ratings are crucial for shows like ours to keep going. You can always listen to our show at bittersouthern.com. That's also where you can read our stories and where you can check the show notes for each podcast episode. Our producer is Sean Powers. I'm so glad y'all finally got to hear the young man's voice today because this show wouldn't be worth a hoot without him. Sarah Shariari edits the show, and thank you to a whole mess of folks at GPB who listen to our show, critique it, and help us make every episode a little better. Ever South, our theme song was written by Patterson Hood and performed by his band Drive By Truckers. We have additional music from Blue Dot Sessions. The Bitter Southerner podcast is a co-production of Georgia Public Broadcasting and the Bitter Southerner magazine. I'm Chuck Reese, and as always, if you've been listening, you know we end every show with three instructions. One, hug more necks. Two, abide no hatred. And three, do what you love and do it with who you love, especially when it brings healing. See you on the next show. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, 
Sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.